Welcome, tennis fans, to KickServeRadio.com, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, brought to you by Carvana. We sell cars, but we are not car salesmen. Featuring International Tennis Hall of Famer, former world number one, Mats Vlander, and Texas Longhorn all-time great, two-time All-American Johnny Levine. Your host of KickServeRadio.com is Andy Zoden. So, take it away, AZ. And take it away, I will. We are through Indian Wells and the Arizona Tennis Classic. This is KickServeRadio.com, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. And the last couple of weeks have been unbelievable tennis in paradise. Tennis in the desert, tennis on the hard courts. I am joined by the KickServeRadio.com team of the great Mats Vlander, seven-time Grand Slam champion, International Tennis Hall of Famer, former number one in the world. I am joined by director and owner of the Carvana Arizona Tennis Classic, two-time Texas Longhorn All-American, Johnny Levine. I'm Andy Zoden. The storylines are off the charts. Taylor Fritz wins what almost amounts to a major, at least a major victory as far as he is concerned. Rafael Nadal's got an injury. The Americans dominate in the desert, but the story, guys, just broke. We've got to start with it. Mats Vlander, you know about what it's like to retire young because you saw Bjorn Borg do the same thing. Ashley Barty, ranked number one in the world, has retired from the sport of tennis at age 25. What's your initial reaction to that? Oh, I, I'm in full shock mode for sure. I have to say that I thought she was going to be uh, dominating women's tennis for the next couple of years. But at the same time, I have to say Australia, winning the Australian Open was most probably such a goal or a dream for her that when that came through, I would think motivation would be a little bit of a problem and, um, and understanding why am I doing this anymore? I don't like to travel anyway. We know that she doesn't like to travel. That's for sure. Uh, and maybe she actually did overdid it. Uh, last year, remember when she spent six or seven months on the road because of COVID and left Australia. And of course, she won Wimbledon along the way, but uh, that could have done, done her in. But I mean, she started at 15. So she's given us nine or 10 years uh, at the t- uh, uh, in the women's game and three or four of those at the top. So it's a shame for sure, but um, most probably has a lot to do with her fulfilling her her last dream, which is winning her own Open. Johnny, watching someone retire young and retire on top is kind of a double-edged sword because as Matt was just saying, we expected more. We hoped for more. We loved what she was bringing to the women's game. We love seeing somebody retire on top and retire at their best, but then we hate it when they're gone. Which side of that argument do you land on at the moment? You know, Matt, I'm shocked like you about Barty, I, I would have thought maybe she'd want to get the U.S. Open and have all four. So wouldn't that have been enough of a goal for her to want to stay in the game? It, it's just, I think uh, at 25 and the way she plays, I think she was going to be at the top for a few more years. But when your heart's not in it and you have other, other dreams and other ideas of what you want to do with your life, I mean, she probably is a lot more to her life than, than, than most top athletes. I mean, it's not, it has to be because she said that she, she wants to fulfill other dreams. So that's kind of cool in itself, but it's just, 
so crazy that uh, I just heard it from you guys before we got on the show. It's shocking. I mean, it's so complicated, guys, because she would have signed million dollar deals over the last three or four years. And then suddenly you just stop and you break everything up. I mean, how does that work? Also, I'm a little bit disappointed uh, for the fact that she is such an inspiration to Australian players, Australian people, indigenous people of Australia. And suddenly that's it. She's done. So I feel like they don't get the chance to be inspired by her tennis. I'm sure they will be by her character. But so it's a shame. That's I mean, that that is really, really. Um, wow. That's big news. Well, what do you think, Andy? We didn't get your take on it. Well, I just think that the question now becomes who who carries the sport now in women's tennis? Because right. what we saw from Ashley Barty was such a beautiful ceremony at the end of Australia, watching her win on home soil for the first time in, in so long down there in Australia and to see Yvonne Goolagong, uh, you know, come onto the court and present her that. But, but that being said, I had a conversation, Johnny, with Mats Vlander while we were down in Phoenix. And I said, Mats, you know, while we're kind of out and about doing some of these things, how would you feel about me making a few phone calls on your behalf and seeing kind of what's out there. And he said, you know, I'm just, I'm just kind of happy living my life and going to these events and being around good friends and playing some tennis and playing some golf. And I'm not really out there to just grab everything that is out there for me. And of course, this is a 57 year old man saying this, but who's to say that a 25 year old woman that's won millions of dollars at this point in her life has not come to that same conclusion which is an admirable conclusion once you get to that point in your life where you just feel like it's not about all, taking everything that people want to give me. It's about just just relaxing and enjoying life and enjoying the people in my life. And so I, I credit her for that. But I do wonder what is going to become of the women's game now? Who are we going to gravitate toward with, you know, sort of the, the breakdown, if you will, of, of Naomi Osaka? I don't think Venus and Serena are coming back anytime soon. You know, we saw Amanda Anasimova look like she was going to be the next promising American working with Darren Cahill. Now they've parted ways and Amanda ha has had a couple of, of tough matches uh, out in, in Indian Wells and now losing to Shelby Rogers early in Miami. So I just think that this leaves the women's game with tons of questions to be answered. And this is the time of year that answering questions begins to start. And also, it leaves the women. It leaves the the women's game without somebody who played differently, where with the slice backhand coming to the net a little bit. And I think that women's game needed that. And I think we saw it on the men's side with the Andre Agassi and Jim Courier and and Pete Sampras, where they, they were hitting the ball really hard. And of course, Pete was slightly different, but still big forehands and playing a certain style of tennis. And in the women's game, they've all been playing sort of the Williams sister style of tennis until Ash Barty comes along. And now, for me, it gave me sort of hope to see a little bit more variety in the women's game. And when the kids grow up, they see Ash Barty with the slice backhand, and now we don't get to see that. So that, to me, is the most uh, uh, dangerous part of her not playing, to be honest. Ash Barty retired at number one in the world at the age of 25. When we come back, we're going to get to the men's game because American tennis got a huge shot in the arm uh, this past weekend, winning the singles and doubles at Indian Wells and an American player winning the singles and doubles at the Arizona tennis classic. So 
Lots to talk about when we come back. Don't go away. You're listening to kickserveradio.com. We are part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back, everybody. We are kickserveradio.com, part of Tennis Channel Podcast Network, and brought to you by Carvana. We sell cars, but we are not car salesmen. Um, guys, it was a great weekend for American tennis. Mats Vlander, I'll start with you. Uh, a tremendous win for Taylor Fritz. We'll get to the situation with Rafael Nadal in a minute, but just on the surface, this is the biggest win of Taylor Fritz's career. He is now the highest ranked male uh, in American tennis. Is he the next American that's got a chance to win a major championship or does winning a tournament that is a best out of three set tournament really not give you what you need to see to give the guy credit to think that he's a bona fide major contender? Well, I think, first of all, I mean, this is the biggest win for um, American men's tennis since Andy Roddick won the U.S. Open. Wow. I know that John Isner won Miami, but Miami doesn't necessarily uh, have the same field as Indian Wells. So, yeah, this is the biggest win in 20 years for American men. At the same time, as I'm going to be slightly critical of um, American media, and we are all to blame for it. It is really time to stop talking about America's number one, the number one player in the United States of America. Who gives a, I was nearly going to say, no (laughs) one cares, okay? It's the same in France, number one in France. They would actually worry more about being number one in France and take 15 in the world. So I think it's time to forget who's one. Is it Opelka? Is it Fritz? They're not even close to the best players in the world yet in the rankings. But this is a, um, this is a good situation. He, we, he's got momentum. Uh, his friends have momentum because of it. Now they know, well, if Taylor can win, I can win. So I think it's, again, time to to not make a big deal out of him being the best American because, honestly, it doesn't mean anything in the world of professional tennis at the moment until he gets up to two or three in the world. So I think, yeah, let, let this go. I think that Opelka, these guys have a chance to win any tournament. Question is five sets. But, Andy, after you said that, Rafa is not getting any younger. Nor is Novak, and certainly Federer is not. And who else of the top guys would have an advantage playing five sets against young bucks like Taylor Fritz or Raleigh Opelka. I don't think there is any other players that have an advantage except those big three. How high can Fritz get, Matt? I got to throw that in there, Andy. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No worries. Oh, I think he's he could go really high. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking he can go to top five um, for sure. I think he can play on, on all the different surfaces. He's improved his weakness uh, very much, which is his movement, I think. He seems to have a good head on his shoulders. He's always a great ball striker, great server, great fighter. Having uh, 
Uh, our dear friend Paul Anacone in his one ear must also really help. Uh, and especially now as, oh, I am coached by Paul and, and, and another coach, of course, but I'm winning with them. So the confidence got to be absolutely um, great for Taylor Fritz that he has the right team around him. And now let's keep going to work. Here's what I would push back on with regard, Johnny, to Matt's comment about who cares who's number one in the United States. Yes. And, well, it's it's all about perception. And so when we watch college football on a Saturday in September and they go, number 11, Auburn versus number six, Texas A&M, who knows what they really are. But as far as a television audience is concerned, it's the number 11 and the number six team in the country and the television stations and uh, the broadcast teams use that to drive ratings. So wouldn't it stand a reason, Johnny, you're just coming off of a, of, of a tournament where you're looking for any reason that you possibly can to put people into the stands. So-and-so is my number one seed and he is currently ranked X in the world to have Taylor Fritz come to your tournament, the number one ranked American going at the time. Isn't that what it's really all about is just a perception of who you're watching. Well, I think, look, for a promoter of a tournament, it, it's great. I think Matt's is looking, you know, at it that, you know, he wants these guys to not care about being number one in the U.S. He's looking for them to want to be the number one in the world. So Matt, Matt's is looking at it strictly from a tennis perspective, which is what he should. From a marketing perspective, yeah, I mean, you can market, you know, I've got the number one, you know, American in in in, in playing my tournament that that could maybe help sell some tickets for sure. But uh, I can see where Matt's is coming from. He wants these guys to get to the top of the game and not focus on I'm, I'm top of American tennis. Let me ask you two a question because you guys would know the answer. Do you think that there is a, a, another country apart from the United States of America that has had more number one and two juniors in the world that never became anything? Anything, meaning Noah Rubin won Wimbledon, I believe, and he did not break into the top 100. Donald Young. Donald Young is another one. Uh, there's a lot of American juniors that are great in the juniors. And, Johnny, you would know this maybe better than Andy, but you could talk about the pressure of being ranked in the 14 and under and the 16 and under, ranked one, two, or three in a, in a country that has 300 and 30 million people so the achievement is absolutely enormous compared to the achievement that i would have made being number one in a country that has eight million people but in the end is it better to be able to sell the player by his ranking or would you rather say that he's a grand slam champion i mean you got to start thinking about tennis at some point and not uh the usta being able to fill stands that's my take and uh I think it's really dangerous. I really do. For, for me, Andy, if I was one of those guys, I'd want to be the number one American so that I could assure myself of being on the Davis Cup team. You know, that to me is where that would come in very nicely. Yeah. So, you know, I think Matt's is right. I mean, in the in Fritz and Opelka, yeah, they, they I'm sure they like being at the top of American tennis, but I think they're in Matt's camp. They, they're after top 10 in the world and trying to win slams, I, I think, and um, I hope, anyways. Andy, I know you want to pop in here, but I am going to say something very positive. I think this is a great time, because I think this generation of players, Fritz, Opelka, 
Tommy Paul, Francis Tiafo, they seem like they are good friends. And they've fought with each other throughout the whole under 12, under 14. So I, for some reason, I think to them, it doesn't matter because they have all been American number one. Opelka was for a while. I believe Tiafa was for a little bit. Fritz. So um, I think it, it's in good hands right now. I really like those, those players. My only comment, you know, and you're right, you know, I wouldn't know from trying to, to make it as a professional tennis player, but I know from what I see from, from all sports that the biggest burden that athletes try to overcome in reaching the top of the mountain is the burden of expectation. And I think that when you are the number one, 12 and under 14 and under 16 and under kid in the United States, that that burden of expectation starts to starts to build and weigh heavy on your shoulders. Then you get into college and now you're, you know, where Johnny was, which is being, you know, among the contenders to be an NCAA champion. Um, and, and then you see a lot of these guys that, that succumb to those expectations because they don't immediately fulfill them. And then it begins to weigh heavy on their mind. It's kind of like a young quarterback coming into the NFL who's not quite ready and he doesn't have a good offensive line in front of him and his confidence gets shot. They're kind of worried about that with Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville right now. This was going to be the next John Elway. Now we don't know what he's going to become. We hope that his career can be resurrected. And I think to your point, Matt, that does happen a lot with American tennis because the perception of being number one in the country makes you a surefire million-dollar baby, and it just does not always work out that way. No, 100%. I couldn't agree more. And I think what it, what it really tells us is that the difference between making it and winning Grand Slams uh, and not making it and being ranked outside of the top 100 is so small these days physically. Physically, it's a small difference, but mentally is where the difference is. And I think that's where we have to worry and take care um, of all American players and be careful of labeling them. But, I mean, it's an unbelievable win. And, um, yeah, i got to say, Taylor Fritz has put his, put his hours on court in to, to win that, that's for sure. Very dedicated. Johnny, he wins against... Rafa Nadal, who we've just come to find out now is going to be out four to six weeks with a with a rib fracture. We could tell that something was really wrong with both of those guys. Neither one of them was a surefire, you know, to even take the court to play that Indian Wells final. Does this put an asterisk next to the win for Fritz or is just he won Indian Wells? He beat Nadal in the final. It was Nadal's first loss of the year. That's it. Period. End of story. Yeah, I don't I don't think there's an asterisk at all. I mean, uh, part of, you know, being on the tennis court is, is dealing with injuries. And, and Nadal had such a good run that he was bound to have some physical issues. Um, and that's not the fault of of Taylor Fritz. I mean, these guys are playing tournament, you know, tournaments week in, week out. It's just, you know, the, you, I don't think that's an asterisk at all on this deal uh, and all the wins that he had prior and he outplayed Nadal. I mean, he really hung in there, and he deserved that win. It got tight, at, 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 you know, in the in the second there, and he just came through. And Nadal was not going to give in, um, which is you know, which is what makes Nadal even with the injury. Um, I, I just all the credit goes to Taylor Fritz. That's a, just a massive win in his home country, home state, and um, I'm sure it's just. Uh, hopefully, he'll. 
he'll just get such motivation and confidence from this and, and, and get into the top 10 soon, you know, very soon. It's basically his home tournament, right, Andy? Yeah, it is. And, you know, he won it in front of the home crowd. And it seems like every crowd is the home crowd for Rafa, but definitely Taylor Fritz had his, his fair share. Uh, it was part of the American sweep, uh, Matt's, and we had Jack Sock and John Isner win the doubles. They beat the Australian Open champions, Nick Kyrgios, and Tanasi Kokonakis along the way in a match. There was not a, an open seat in the house on Stadium 2 when they played over the weekend. It was just a beauty of a match. Four guys that all get along really well, four guys that, that all can do incredible things on the court. There were a lot of times in watching that match, I happened to be fortunate enough to be there for that one uh, while I was there over the weekend. A lot of times with three guys playing the baseline, and it was usually sock having a baseline rally against Kyrgios and Kokonakis and, and, uh, and Isner just camping out at the net with a seven foot frame, seeing what he could, uh, what he could reach out and, and put a racket on, but uh, good win for Sock and Isner. They've won it before, but uh, again, to be a part of that American sweep, that's, that's just a big, big effort for American tennis overall. You know, what's so inspirational is that Jack Sock is literally the big brother to Nick Kyrgios. I mean, he, Nick Kyrgios looks up to, I think, one player, and he used to say Federer as well. But Jack Sock has unbelievably good hands, uh, great uh, uh, creativity, imagination. And it's funny that both of them seems to be coming back. They both seem like they enjoy playing, not just doubles, but singles as well. And, I mean, wouldn't that be the coolest thing now, now that Rafa and Novak and Roger are sort of on their way out, at least within a year or two, to suddenly have guys like Nick Kuras and Jack Sock come back to tennis and, and, and get to the top of the game because it will change the, the game completely the way that they play with uh, great hands and, uh, and just entertaining to watch. The key word's entertaining. And, Johnny, at your tournament in, in Phoenix, the entertainment value was so high because you're so close to the court and you're always looking for that, that player that, that kind of really has that, that, that uh, gleam in his eye that, you know, the JJ Wolfs and, and we're going to get to that here in the next segment, but Nick Kyrgios, I have to say, I watched him play a lot of tennis in Indian Wells and I sat close to the court and you can not take your eyes off the guy. <laughs> the, the stream of commentary that comes out of his mouth is hilarious. And when he's in a good mood and he's got a smile on his face, everyone in the crowd does too. And it really makes it hard, Johnny, not to be a Nick Curios fan after what I witnessed in Indian Wells. He still has his moments of racket obliteration and we're always going to have that. And I think we kind of like that too, but overall the guy is a character that the sport needs badly. I think I've I've said this for years, and I think he's the most entertaining player in the world to watch. I haven't witnessed the tanking so much, but I mean that would be ugly to see a guy. You know, you pay to go see a match, and then he he gives up, and that would be ugly. And I know he's done that. I know a lot of people don't like him or want to watch him because of it. But when he is playing to win, you just get so much entertainment value out of this guy. Uh, the serve. Watching him serve is is insane. I mean, I think he's got just one of the biggest bombs in the game. He's a, you know he's funny out there. He's he's a character. Um, he's got great variety to his game. There's always something you know that he does that that, that gets people's attention, that makes people laugh. Um, he's a true entertainer, and uh, I just 
would hope that he could reach his potential like everyone else. And then we'd see him in the top 10 and maybe vying for grand slams. That, that is where it gets disappointing be, for, for most people because he's a guy that is not reaching his potential. Um, Matt, you made the comment over, I, I don't even know if we maybe got to it on the last show, but I know we talked about it, that you saw something where Nick Kyrgios was sort of having this sort of this, this cathartic therapeutic introspective look at himself and was maybe looking like he was saying some things that are indicative of a kid that is really starting to hit the maturation process uh, in, in high gear. Yeah, no, he, he posted something on one of the social media platforms where he, he was saying something along the way that he hasn't been kind to himself uh, in the last few years. He hasn't been kind to uh, friends and family and, um, uh, he's sort of been a bit abusive to himself, uh, and it sounded like both physically and 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 uh, emotionally. Obviously, who knows? But he did come out and say that that he um, that he is is a changed man. I guess you we would say now whether that reflects uh, on his tennis, it seems to. So that's yeah. great. But uh, I mean, yes. I think we all, everybody loves Nick Curious. I mean, when he tanks, no, it's horrible. Uh, he's taken a stand. And uh, you know what, what? I really I really like him because he stood up for Novak Djokovic during the Australian Open. He's not stubborn enough where he doesn't like a person. He just uh, disagrees with an, a person's opinion, but it doesn't make it personal. And I think he that was clear when he uh, supported Novak Djokovic with with that whole, whole drama at the Australian Open. So, I mean, I'm a huge Nick Curious fan. I know he might not be a big fan of mine, but maybe we can, um, we can figure that out, out along the way. But, I, I mean, I couldn't think of anything better than to see Nick Curious play singles and doubles every time he shows up and win a couple of matches in both. I mean, that would be massive for the men's tour right now. Well, something that was massive for the Challenger Tour was a guy that played big-time singles and doubles down in Arizona – when we come back from the break, we'll talk about the Carvana Arizona Tennis Classic, and it was a beauty. You're listening to KickServeRadio.com. We are part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Back with the final segment, saving the best for last right after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody. KickServeRadio.com, Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Matt's Vlander, Johnny Levine, I'm Andy Zoden, and we were all down in the desert. Uh, I happened to be able to make it to Indian Wells, but the three of us were all down in Phoenix, as we said we would be, for the second iteration of the Arizona Tennis Classic, now known as the Carvana Arizona Tennis Classic. And we want to definitely thank Ernie Garcia and his company for their generous support of your event johnny i will start with you how happy are you with the way this came off it was really a hell of a job on your part no we were really pleased with the outcome andy it was a great week and there was a lot of preparation that went into it we couldn't have done it you know without so many people involved volunteers 
sponsors, the Phoenix Country Club, the membership giving up their courts. And then obviously, you know, the great field, the great players put on a great show during the week. There were some tremendous matches. Uh, we, we had a great draw in both singles and doubles. We had the number one and two players in the world play doubles. They lost early and then Wells came in. And we ended up getting, you know, an American in, in, in the finals. We had two in the semis with Wolf and Kudla. And Kudla was just a warrior battling, losing the first set, the semis and the finals and coming through and then winning the doubles with Treat Huey. But people really enjoyed it. They, 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 we hadn't done the tournament since 2019. I think the, the fans, there was a great fan base that was looking for pro tennis to come back. All things just kind of came together to make a really what I would call a successful week. And then in the end, we were able to give a fantastic donation to the Phoenix Children's Hospital of $115,000. And that's really thanks to, to our sponsors to, for making that happen. Matt's, it doesn't happen. You, you were like, how, wait a minute, what are you, a, a challenger that made a profit? What are you talking about? You were pretty impressed with what you saw down there. And I'll let you take it from there because I know Johnny was so excited as was I, as was everybody there to, to have an appearance from you. But what, what were you seeing from, from where you were sitting? No, for me, first of all, Johnny, uh, unbelievable job by you and your team and Andy, obviously you're part of it because you were doing uh, a bunch of the introductions on court and, and uh, after the match interviews uh, and they were great. What I really found is that, now, if you want to go and watch a positive event of any kind, whether it's a comedy stand-up or a concert by a band or uh, another sport, I really don't think you can go and be more encouraged than if you go and watch professional tennis when you're that close. Because when you watch Dennis Kudla and you listen to him and you hear everything that he says, I mean, literally between every point, there is a a positive uh, something that he says, come on, Dennis, let's go, let's go, come on, come on. I mean, you don't get that in other sports. So for kids to see that and for parents to understand how clean the game of tennis is in terms of behavior and in terms of positive attitude, because when you're far away, you have no idea what they're saying. Um, and when you see Andy Murray play, you think that every every other word is is not a good word. But in fact, he's just like Nick Kyrgios. He's funny as hell at times, but you don't hear it. But here you can hear it. And I'm so, I'm again, it happens quite often these days, but I'm very proud to be part of professional tennis when I see guys like Dennis Kudla, uh, that's sort of a, a seasoned veteran, J.J. Wolf, that has an unbelievably good attitude. And they were actually having a bit of fun in their match, laughing a little bit back and forth. Chris Eubanks, oh. uh, who was incredibly entertaining. Then you have David Goffin. I mean, why on earth is he going to play the Arizona Tennis Classic? He's been top seven in the world, made semis of, I think, three majors. But he's there. So I think that you really see the love of the game by professional tennis players when you go to a tournament like the Carvana Arizona Tennis Classic. So, wow, so inspiring to me to be and to listen to them more than actually watch them. You know, Johnny, Matt makes a great point because you've got the blend of youth. You know, we talked about J.J. Wolf. You've got the uh, Emil Rusavari's and you've got the uh, Lorenzo Musetti's 
and Daniel Altmaier, who made the final and played great tennis in getting to the final. And then you blend that with the Richard Gasquets and the Fernando Verdascos and the Benoit Perez. You've got this incredible blend of youth and veterans. Everybody's kind of hanging out together and you're sort of seeing a couple of different generations of tennis. And you're seeing these young guys out on the court. You know, J.J. Wolf took out Fernando Verdasco and I asked him after the match what it's like to walk out on the court with a guy that's really a, a, a big part of the greatest generation of, of you know, uh, professional tennis for the last couple of decades. And his comment was, gosh, you know, if you start thinking that way, you're putting yourself in a tough position to be able to compete because you can't go out there in awe of these guys. So it's really cool to see the young guys come out there with such a healthy mindset toward competing with these guys that they watched play when they were little kids. Yeah, for sure. And and that's what we've been fortunate even when we had it in, in 2019, we had the same kind of thing where we had those, the, the youthful guys, the younger guys, and then we had some of the veterans and it, it, it was the same this, this time. I mean, we, we had, Guys, like you said, I mean, Verdasco and Goffin and Gasquet, um, you know, all of them top former top 10 guys in the world that were at the highest level. And they're just maybe a little off. Maybe they're a little older, but they, they can play ball still. Yeah. I mean, they're all, you know, still very highly ranked. And then to see the young guys, um, you know, a J.J. Wolf, who, you know, I would like to get Matt's thoughts. I, I, I see him being in the top 30. Um, he just qualified for, for Miami after a long week in Phoenix. And so did Dennis Kudla, by the way, which were great efforts. And I just saw that Eubanks, uh, who's a great young, nice American player, lost a tight, tight three setter to Nishioka in the, in the second round. So he's playing great ball too, but it was just a great all around week of tennis and, and, and the field with the variety that, you know, got guys from French contingency. Then you have some Germans, you know, you had Struff and you had Altmaier, you had Ate, and then, you you know, you have the Americans where, where you had Eubanks and Wolf and Kudla. And, um, you know, it, and then, the you know, it was just cool to see these different sets of guys um, all hanging out together. And, you know, you're right there with them. And um, I think the fans really enjoyed that. Imagine this. You get the question, how much money do you think you have to spend to have Fernando Verdasco, Gil Simon, Richard Gasquet, Nicolas Mahou, and Benoit Paire in the same tournament? I mean, that's unbelievable. These are big names. And what's inspirational to me is that those big names come to your tournament, Johnny, and, and they're no longer 37, 38 years old. They're just another J.J. Wolf. They just want to get matches under the belt. They want to gain some confidence. Of course, the points and money, I guess, is, is important. But to those guys, not so much. So, I mean, the professionalism both ways. So I understand what J.J. Wolf is saying. If you start thinking like that, you have a problem. Um, I think that he's got the mindset. I really do. I agree with you, Johnny. I think that uh, J.J. Wolf, um, he seemed to really enjoy what we did with him when we did our little live podcast thing. Uh, he uh, embraced that kind of attention, which I think is important, but he still has his feet very firmly planted on the ground. So, and I don't think that's a problem. So, yeah, I, I mean, I would love to see him break into the top 30, but certainly he's going to be around uh, the main draws of the Grand Slams for the next four or five years, you would suspect. You know, here's the, here's the, the, the litmus test is what are the players saying? 
And what are the umpires saying? And to a man, every single one of them said, this is the best challenger in the country. And I think that's, you know, partially the field itself. I mean, obviously, Johnny, you've, you've given credit to where you land on the calendar and there definitely has, you know, some credence to be paid to that, but then to be able to give a donation to the Phoenix children's hospital uh, and, and to just have, you know, every hospitality wise, Miguel Nito and Weller Evans certainly need to be mentioned as the, as the guys that are right there at your side running this thing, you know, they're, they're so experienced and it shows, uh, yeah, I just think that you've got something that is, it's, it's something that is a, a real treasure for the challenger tour. And you're kind of telling us before we went on the air, well, you know, they don't commit for more than a year at a time. I guarantee you the ATP challenger tour and the ATP would be heartbroken if you decided you weren't going to do this anymore, I think they'd make a good case to try to help you uh, make the decision to continue to move forward. Although it doesn't sound like anybody's going to need to twist your arm. Well, I look, I mean, one of the goals that we have is to, to have an event that the players embrace and that talk, they talk about it and that, you know, players want to come to the event and we got some really good feedback from them. They, they seem to enjoy it a lot, but I do want to mention, you know, you guys and thanking you guys for making the trip and Andy kind of being the spokesperson for the tournament and, and Matt's coming out from, from Idaho to be the ambassador uh, meant a lot to the tournament. I know everyone enjoyed having you both there and um, you know, it was just, it really capped a, a great week and, and you guys were definitely very, very popular for, for everyone, for you guys to be there. So appreciate it very much. No, we appreciate being there. But you know what I think would be really important is I don't think that people realize and most probably other challengers, other tournament organize, uh, uh, organizers, is that the vibe behind the scenes for these players is so important and it's never to be overlooked. The fact that they're sitting there at the Phoenix Country Club and just that the view is the golf course. You got the, the buffet out there. You're sitting outside. Uh, it's the, the climate is beautiful. So I think these things are way more important than we think, especially for the Fernando Verdascos of the world. They don't want to just go for, uh, for a couple of matches. They want to go to a place where they can actually take a breath relax and get fired up for their match. And uh, the environment is absolutely perfect. Not easy to create, of course, but um, Phoenix Country Club, I mean, that's what a great venue. Before we go, Johnny, how cool was it for us to see Mats Vlander pop out of the chair and go give an embrace to his doubles partner from 1986, who he won Wimbledon, Joachim Nystrom, was on the premises as a coach. So with everything else we've been talking about, you've also got the reunion of, of, of Nystrom and Vlander. How cool was that? I think it was amazing. I thought it was great. And, uh, and Matt's did make comment. Finally, he came around and said, you've got your Wimbledon, you've got a Wimbledon doubles champions uh, on right. site, which he finally acknowledged. But I will tell you, Matt's, and you missed this because you happened not to be there on the final day, Sunday, but we had a very special guest that took your place in a very, very revered local Wimbledon doubles finalist. We got Gary Donnelly to, to get into the house. Wow. And he was there, and, and, and everyone uh, in, in our tennis circles loved seeing Gary. And Gary uh, w- was awesome, and, and, and he was happy to be there, and we were happy to have him, and I think he enjoyed it. 
Um, but like I said, a lot of people were pleased to be able to see Gary and say hi to him. I, I think Andy's included in that. Definitely. Definitely. Well, Johnny, fantastic job. It's Indian Wells is behind us. Taylor Fritz is your singles champion. John Isner and Jack Sock are your doubles champions. The Carvana Arizona Tennis Classic is behind us. Dennis Kudla is your singles champion. Dennis Kudla and Trent Huey are your doubles champions. Kudla bags the double, takes a red eye to Miami, and qualifies for the main draw uh, in the Miami Open. Incredible stuff. And when we come back on our next show, hopefully we'll have more to say about him and a great tournament in Miami. We're going to have to try to figure out what's going on with the great Rafael Nadal, supposedly four to six weeks out with a fractured rib. So we will see what becomes of that. In the meantime, for the great Mats Vlander, Johnny Levine, this is Andy Zoden. You've been listening to kickserveradio.com, the Indian Wells, Arizona tennis classic edition. We are part of the tennis channel podcast network, and we will see you guys real soon.